So, just a quick word of warning before we start this episode. It discusses poop. Dinosaur poop, to be exact. It's all in the name of science, of course, but if that sort of thing is unappealing to you, you might want to listen to one of our other episodes. For the rest of you, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. So let's get started. Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, the first of a two-part series on dinosaur poop. You can call it fossilized feces, dino dung, or preserved poo. It's our new favorite kind of fossil, and we're sure that it will be yours too. You might be surprised how much scientists can learn from really old poop. Our inspiration for this series comes from Nina and Jurian, who asked us this question. And our question is, do dinosaurs fart and poop and pee like humans do? Do they or do they not? Okay, so when we first got this question, I thought that the answer would be pretty simple. Yeah, me too. I mean, we know that dinosaurs ate food and everything that eats food needs to poop and pee. And fart, assuming that they have the right kind of anatomy. The gas is long gone, but I found out that scientists have actually estimated how much dinosaurs farted. In one paper, they estimated that sauropods, which are giant long-necked dinosaurs, farted 520 million tons of methane gas each year, which is a lot of fart. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. As they like to say in investigative journalism, this was an incredible lead. I got on the beat and started digging up dirt. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> what I uncovered was an entire field of paleontology devoted to studying dinosaur poop, or as scientists call it, coprolites. That's when we knew that Nina and Jurian's question couldn't be answered in just one show. We're going to be doing two episodes covering first, the modern day science, and next episode... The fascinating history of dinosaur poop. I I mean, copper lights. So we're getting started with Karen Chin. In her lab, she's holding a 76 million year old dinosaur poop in her hand. Okay, here you can see a copper light that has lots of dark pieces of plant material. They're about, oh, about a eighth of an inch, some of them, maybe some of them a half inch long, and this whole rock is filled with it. This copper light is one of a large deposit <laughs> found on the high plains of central Montana in the western U.S. 76 million years ago, the area was full of sand, rivers, lakes, and pooping dinosaurs. So what does that copper light look like? I'm assuming it's less than fresh. <laughs> Probably not smelling. (laughs) To most people, it just looks like a rock. But Karen's trained to separate regular rocks from dinosaur dumps. When people learn that I study fossil feces, it's kind of a funny thing to study. And sometimes people think, how cute. (laughs) But I like to emphasize that coprolites, fossil feces, are trace fossils, which means that they provide evidence of an animal's behavior. If you have a picture of a fossil in your head right now, it's probably of a bone or a skeleton. Bones can tell you what the animal looked like and something about its behavior. But trace fossils tell you much more about how an animal actually lived. Both of them together help us fill in all of those puzzles. 
not, not all the puzzle pieces, but some of the puzzle pieces when we're trying to reconstruct the past. Coprolites don't just come from dinosaurs. They're the word used to describe fossilized scat from any animal, from any period of time. Scat, which is yet another word for poop. There are so many, and it's delightful. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've spent any time in the wilderness, you probably know that scat provide clues to which animals are living nearby. Karen studied scat when she was a national park ranger. And so I learned that it can tell us about living animals, and I was really excited to find out that feces can actually fossilize too, so we can study those to tell us about extinct animals. Scat becomes a coprolite when it gets buried quickly under the right conditions. Bacteria plays an important role in transforming soft material into hard rock. After enough time, voila, you have a fossil. So that's basically the same way the bones become fossils. Yes, but coprolites are much harder to identify. Most people who study bones don't have to spend a lot of time saying this is a bone and this is the evidence for why it's a bone. But I have to say this is a coprolite because of this evidence. And then you describe what's inside. And many times we may not know exactly who produced it. So by who, she's saying she doesn't know what kind of dinosaur made the poop? I mean, think about it. Like, if a dog left a present <laughs> on your lawn, you'll have your suspicions of who did it. Like, like this one's definitely big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a small dog. Like, maybe one of those little chihuahuas, you know, that walk by every day. It's always scruffy pooping in your lawn. (laughs) So Karen makes the same deductions, but she's looking at the lawns of tens of million years ago. And she actually starts by looking at dinosaur bones to get the clue of who was living in the neighborhood. You can also look at the contents of the coprolite. If it has bone fragments in it, we know it wasn't produced by an herbivore. If it has, it's full of plants, we know it wasn't produced by a predator. All right. Well, that sounds uh, easy enough, I mean, as fossil hunting goes. So can they say this is definitely a T-Rex turd? No, it's never certain. We usually can't figure out who dung it. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I mean, I think the pun opportunities in the field make up for (laughs) all of the frustration. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, I always, I like to tell people that studying coprolites is a real who-dung-it mystery. So she's like a dino-dung detective. Like, I'm picturing hat, trench coat, hard-boiled accent from the 30s. <laughs> like, I got this poop here. <laughs> got this poop here, see? <laughs> I'm going to figure out who dung it, and I'm not going to let any of you stop me. <laughs> Karen gets on the case if she thinks it can help her prove or disprove a hypothesis about dinosaurs or if the coprolite itself is interesting enough. That's when she starts her investigation. After I have taken good photographs of the specimen, and if I have permission, I will make a thin section, which means I will cut the rock with a saw that has diamonds in its edge, so it cuts right through rock, and I will mount it on a glass slide and grind it thin enough so I can look at it through a microscope. And that brings us back to the coprolite that Karen was holding in her hand. Here you can see a coprolite that has lots of dark pieces of plant material. Well, it turns out, yes, it is plant material, but this is actually rotted wood. Rotted wood? That 
seems weird. It was really weird to Karen, too, because rotting wood wasn't the typical dino diet of either meat or plants. Well, maybe the wood rotted after um, dinosaur processing, if you will. <laughs> I could see those wood cells, but they were characteristics of the way the wood cells looked and the way they held together that indicated that these materials had rotted before the dinosaur had eaten them. The first time she saw the rotted wood, Karen didn't really think much of it. But then it showed up again in Utah. We didn't just find it in one coprolite. We found it in... Um, probably about 10 different deposits. So that meant that, like, the dinosaur just wasn't trying it just one time, just to try it, to see if it liked it. (laughs) It's important to try things before you say you don't like them. Yeah, this was a widespread dinosaur diet option. So Karen started looking closely at these coprolites, and she was really surprised by what she found. The exciting thing about these coprolites is that they contained bits and pieces of crustacean shell in them. Could have been a crab, it could have been a crayfish. We didn't have enough of them. We only had bits and pieces of their external shell. Finding crustaceans in the Utah deposit was even more strange than just finding rotting wood. Karen suspected that these coprolites were made by duck-billed dinosaurs who were thought to be herbivores. So the crustaceans were stowing away in the rotted wood. Like maybe the dinosaurs were just eating them by mistake while chowing down on yummy rotted wood. Mm. (laughs) Karen thinks it's just the opposite. The animals and insects that live in rotting wood is exactly what the dinosaurs were after. People can say, well, maybe they, maybe they, accidentally ingested them. And that is possible, but we figure that these guys were maybe at least two inches in length. If you're a dinosaur and you happen to get one in your mouth and it's wriggling around, if you don't want to swallow it, you don't have to swallow it. (laughs) That's true. You can't always spit something out if it's wriggling in your mouth. (laughs) That's That's often my first instinct. Excuse me, waiter, this uh, seems to be alive. (laughs) So Karen wondered, why were dinosaurs snacking on rotting wood in the first place? My hypothesis was that why would a dinosaur feed on rotting wood when it could walk a few steps and feed on green material? But if you think about rotting wood is a great place to find lots of invertebrates like beetles and worms and millipedes. And there are certain times when all animals need higher amounts of protein, and that's when they're reproducing. Yeah, so rotting wood is like a a craving they get before they're about to lay eggs. Maybe. To find out, Karen looked for information about modern-day animals that typically eat plants but switch up their diet around the time that they reproduce. I found a number of animals that do seek out protein-rich foods sometimes. And some of these were mammals, but most of them were birds. Most birds at some time of the year actually do um, seek out things like clams or insects or fish. So is it any coincidence that these dinosaurs are the ancestors of modern-day birds? Nope. 
The dinosaurs that are now extinct laid eggs just like living dinosaurs, a.k.a. birds. And unlike mammals, like us, who get to deliver food to our babies that grow inside of us, dinosaurs had one shot to lay a healthy egg. They need protein and calcium all at one time. Whereas mammals, they also need protein and calcium. They need it over a longer period of time. Ah, so they're breaking their vegetarian rule just for the sake of the babies. It's for the children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're just sucking it up and eating rotting wood. It's just like how a mom-to-be adjusts her diet and behavior during her pregnancy. Maybe cutting out certain foods and drinks, eating healthier, exercising differently... Yeah, dinosaurs are actually pretty relatable in that way. I'm having kind of a moment of personal connection here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all thanks to poop. And science, or maybe curiosity. We are always curious. We're always asking questions. Why is that like that? What what is this weird rock? And it turned out to be uh, coprolites. Why does this weird rock have these weird things in them? And what are these weird things? And those turn out to be crustaceans. So then we had to answer why the, the dinosaurs might have been feeding on crustaceans. So I think that we always want to embrace our curiosity. If something is odd or unusual, it's always a good idea to say, well, why is that? Karen's curiosity led to a discovery that changes the way we think about dinosaur diets and behavior. Food in the dinosaur world wasn't always so black and white, herbivore or carnivore. Discoveries like this tell us that maybe we have to broaden our conception of what we thought dinosaurs behaved like. Thanks to Karen Chin, Associate Professor and Curator of Paleontology at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Thanks as well to Dr. Danny Rabiotti and Dr. Steve Brusati for helping out with our investigative work. Special thanks goes to Anne-Marie Awad and Suzanne Balog for recording and coordinating help. And major thanks to Rob Griffiths of the awesome Storytime podcast Bedtime FM for assistance with audio. Sarah Lentz is our editor. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for part two of Dinosaur Poop Discovery. Discovery.